This morning's reading is Deuteronomy 6, uh, 4 to 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are beyond your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Thank you, John, uh, for reading for us this morning. Well, welcome um, to our Vision Sunday. So, um, allow me to pray. Sorry, I'm just collecting all my paraphernalia, making sure I've got everything I need. Um, and uh, yeah, allow me to pray, and then we're going to jump in uh, to the what God's leading us in this morning. And so, Father, we just thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And, and so this morning, we just come before you. Uh, Father, I know you've laid things on my heart to share and to challenge and to encourage us as a church and invite us as a church. But, but Father, I pray that this morning would be more than words. I pray that it wouldn't just be uh, yeah, Nick's vision or Nick's words this morning, but I pray that it would be your leading you're inspiring, you're encouraging, you're challenging, you're inviting us as a church um, to, to be all in for you as we look to next year. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so today is our, our Vision Sunday and for some of us we've been around for a few years and we've got a sense of, of what that means and what that's about and for some of us uh, this is the first Vision Sunday you'll have been to uh, at, at this church and, and so what it is, is it's an opportunity for us to pause uh, before we get into the busyness of December, I know that life's already getting a bit busy, but I just feel like it's a bit redundant to have a Vision Sunday for next year in June, um, in the middle of the year when it's a bit quieter. So uh, we, we generally do it the last Sunday of November before we get headlong into December busyness and just pause for a moment and think about what is God going to lead us into? What's God encouraging us? What God is challenging us as a church uh, for the year to come? Um, so hopefully most of you or all of you uh, got one of these Vision Sunday books, encourage you that uh, now's not necessarily the best time to read through it, but I do encourage you to read through it. Um, and, and one of the reasons I point you towards that is on the inside cover, you will see um, some statements that say our mission, our vision as a church. Uh, and so that's about who, who we believe God's called us to be, where we believe that God is calling us uh, to, to go and become as a church uh, in the years to come. And so that's not changing. That's not something we refresh all the time. That's a longer term thing. And so what we do each year, though, is pause and go, well, what about next year? What, what's God leading us to focus on and center around for the year to come? And so each year, I, 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 I like to share a theme or a word or a phrase that I believe that God has put on my heart to share with the church um, to center around. And so last year, that word was uh, the word overflow. Uh, and, and so I shared with the church at our Vision Sunday last year about uh, this sense that God was leading us into a season of overflow, of spilling over, of filling, of, of fullness, of blessing and momentum. Um, and, and we had uh, uh, David Nathan come and share about that word at our church camp. And, and so there was a lot of excitement and enthusiasm about that, which a couple of weeks later for me was completely deflated. Um, and so for those that are part of the church at the time, you'll know that uh, we, we hit a bit of a financial impasse, to say the least, and so in, in mid-December we had a moment where we realised we were essentially out of money. Uh, we'd felt that time was coming, that we needed to lift up in our giving as a church, uh, but it, it took at least me by surprise at how quickly we arrived at that point at the end of uh, December last year. So we faced this financial challenge, which I uh, admit in my not as faith-filled moments, going to say, yeah, good one, God, overflow. It's the opposite of that. Uh, but uh, looking back, uh, I can see more clearly than perhaps I did at the time that this is all part of God's leading us into overflow. And, and so as I, and, and, and especially Steve, encouraged the church around our giving and told us about uh, how we need to, to increase our giving, um, <clears throat> one of the key verses we looked at was Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 to 10 which says, uh, 
Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. And, and so as we reflected on that, it became apparent that, that God was wanting to lead us into a season of overflow, but he was also encouraging us to entrust our wealth, to entrust our giving and our generosity, uh, our possessions to him to, to step deeper into to being wholehearted for God and it goes beyond finances, but just to step deeper in. And, and it's out of that throwing ourselves upon God to trust Him that overflow comes. And so in, in our uh, financial space as a church, I can say that in testimony terms that God was overwhelmingly faithful, that we have had a, a season of overflow financially this year. And I also want to commend the church, the church family, that you have been faithful to that call from uh, the leaders of the church, but also from God upon your own hearts. Um, and so you, later on, when you're reading through my, my pastor's report, my recap for this year, which we'll talk a bit about at our church meeting, you'll see that, um, and I've got the word wrong there, that we've had about a 25% increase in, in uh, I've said, our offering or giving. That's actually our, our total income, which most of that is offering and giving. Um, and so the numbers will be a bit off there. Sorry for that mistake. But, but that reflects an overflow in our, in, our, in our giving and finances as a church. And Cheryl, uh, for the first time as treasurer and the first time for any treasurer for at least several years, gets to report a surplus uh, at our annual meeting. But, but uh, we've also grown in numbers. There's been overflow in numbers in the church despite farewelling some people. Uh, we've still grown as a church uh, in, our, in our one thing that we can measure, Sunday uh, attendance. And I mention those numbers not because they're the important thing that we, we do church because we want to see bigger numbers, but what they do tell is a testimony of what God has been doing, that, that there has been a growth and an overflow in the life of our church. We remain hungry for more, I hope you remain hungry for more, but, but as I look back over the year and, and as I kind of prepared for this morning, thinking through that stuff was just reminded of, of how much overflow, of how much filling God has done in the life of our church. And it's not just in the measurable things. It's in the things that we can't put a number to. Uh, it's in the things of, of unity and togetherness and family and, and loving one another and worship teams growing, kids' church growing, things like that. And one testimony of that is our, as our big day out last week where I know not everyone could come, but, but the amazing thing of, of how many people, I was blown away by how many people said, yes, I want to spend a whole day with my church family, that that sounds like a fun thing to do. And I'm, I'm, I'm blown away by only a week later, um, yes, there's turkey involved and yes, I can smell it too. Um, but but a, a, again, a large number of the church saying, yeah, I want to have dinner with my church family. That there's, that, that's something that we can't necessarily measure that love and commitment and, and togetherness as a church, but I feel like there's been overflow beyond what we can measure in that. Um, and, and so uh, I really feel like last year was a season of overflow. Of course, there's been disappointments. Of course, there will always be challenges and trials and struggles. But, but, but hopefully, as you reflect on the past year, that you feel the same. Hungry for more, but yet thankful for the overflow that God has given. And so last year, we were talking about overflow, and it's always a challenge uh, when we shift from one theme to another to go, well, God's going to stop overflowing now. But I want to remind us that, that, that God is a God of overflow. That though we might move on to a new vision phrase or theme, that, that the Scripture, the Word remains forever. Jesus said, the Bible says of the Word over and over again, that the Word remains forever. And so I, as a church, I want us to increase, not to diminish because overflow year is finished and we're into something else, but to in, continue to increase our expectation, our hunger, our desire to see God fill us to overflow, to fill the church to overflow, to fill our community with His presence to overflow. Uh, the, word, the word I feel like God's leading us into for 2019, or the, the words, the phrase, is all in. And it's, a, it's an, again, like it was last year, it's a word that's a phrase that's been sitting on my heart for most of the year as I've reflected on the year to come and, um, and, and I kind of, the way I kind of hear God, not audibly, but, but, but sense His Word in my heart, I kind of go, I get something and then I kind of try and push that away because I think, oh, you know, maybe there's something else. And, but this is the Word that's kept coming back, that, that God's inviting us and challenging us 
as a church and as individuals to make 2019 a year in which we boldly step in to be all in for Jesus and his kingdom. It's both an invitation and a challenge. It's an invitation to rely, to trust, to depend upon God who is a good, good father in a deeper way than we ever have before. It's an invitation to cast our cares upon him, to, to, to lay down our striving to be uh, self-sufficient and to become completely and absolutely God-sufficient. But it's also a challenge to let go of the things we want to hold back from God or to let go of the things that hold us back from God. It's a challenge to prioritise our life around one single purpose and that is Jesus and his kingdom. It's an invitation and it is a challenge. Right at the start of God's relationship with his people, uh, Israel, as a nation, not as the individual forefathers before that, but right at the start of his relationship with Israel as a nation, after he's freed them out of Egypt um, through miraculous signs and wonders and he's gathered them at the foot of Mount Sinai and he begins to teach them how to be his people uh, under the old covenant. But the, fa- the foundation of that is, is these words in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 3, where God says, and God spoke, to all, spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me or beside me is another way we could translate that. That is the foundation of every relationship that people have with God, that He is to be the one and only God. This word for, uh, that's translated in the latest NIV version as before, uh, can also mean beside, as I said. It also can mean over, under, all around. It's the same word that's used in Genesis when it says darkness was over the surface of the earth. It's the same word that's used in the same verse that says the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. It's a word that means basically, it's just a little word in Hebrew, al, I can't speak Hebrew, but that's how I would read it, uh, Al, and it means everywhere in a sense. It's before, besides, over, under, next to. It's every space. And so this isn't just that God is to be the top God. It's, to be, it's that He is to be the only God. And as the passage of Scripture goes on, we can see that that's not just about actual false gods that we might worship. It's about every priority and value we have in life. We're to have simply no other objects of worship, no other priorities, no other values. God does not abide a divide in our allegiance to Him. God is a God that has always and fundamentally required His people to be all in. So this morning I want to talk about what does it look like for us as individuals and as a church to be all in? What does it look like to be all in? I want to suggest that it begins with us saying that all of me is in. All of you is in, not just me as one person, but each of us individually saying, I'm all in God. All of me, every part of me is in. In the Gospels, it tells us this, uh, this episode where one of the teachers of the law, one of the experts in, in God's old covenant law came to Jesus and, and asked him, what's the most important law in all of the commandments? What's the most uh, significant revelation in all of the written scripture that we, that we had up until that point? And Jesus in, in verse 29 and 30 says, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. See, these are the scriptures, and and, and so Jesus is quoting what John read for us this morning from Deuteronomy, this, this ancient scripture. Jesus says that this is it. This is the most important piece of Old Covenant, Old Testament scripture. 
Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And, and these words, these words, heart, soul, mind and strength aren't just kind of four parts of you. They are words that describe every part of you. They're words that describe every facet of your being, both physical and tangible and intangible. And so Jesus is saying the most important thing for God's people is that every part of us love God. That we be all in for that purpose. And so as we journey on through the Gospels, we see that following Jesus is all or nothing. As we reflected on last week in the Sermon on the Mount, as we kind of uh, finished part A of that kind of series through that, that, that Jesus says to us when he's talking about money, but it, it applies to so many other areas of our life, that, that we can only serve one master. That we can only have one Lord. And, and then in, in Luke chapter 9, we read about some people seeking to follow Jesus or people being invited to follow Jesus. And so Luke 9, 59 to 60, it says, Jesus said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. The next two verses, it says, still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. At least let me tell them that I'm going, that I'm going, I've seen this Jesus and I'm going to follow him and I'm going to make my life about him now. And Jesus says, no one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Following Jesus is all in, all or nothing. One Lord, one master, one priority, one purpose. No compromises, no turning back. And so Jesus takes these socially and culturally important excuses, these important reasons to delay being all in for Jesus and he casts them aside. See, in Jewish culture, there was, there was little more important than honouring your family, especially the, the burial rites. The world stopped when someone died and it became all about doing the appropriate burial for that person. Some interpreters will say, well, maybe the father's not dead. They make excuses for Jesus being so blunt about it and say, well, maybe he had to go back and wait for his father to die. And, but, but that's not in there. That's just us trying to rationalize Jesus being so blunt with it's all or nothing. It's now or never. There's no turning back. Jesus takes these socially and culturally important priorities and says they must be cast off. They must not be before me or beside me. And so we too make a whole bunch of rationalizations and excuses for not being all in, don't we? When my kids are older, I'll have more time for Jesus. When, you know, life gets a bit he less hectic, I'll, I'll be able to be in church more or I'll be able to serve the church or um, I'll be able to give more when I have a little bit more money. I just need to get that promotion I'm hanging out for. There's a whole bunch of things that we think, well, well surely Jesus would want me to prioritise this thing, whatever it is. Surely Jesus is about family first. What, what are our reasons for not being all in for Jesus? As I said, we're so quick to make excuses for Jesus. To go, well, he, he must have meant this or he must have meant that and I think he meant... No, if you're going to follow me, follow me. Be all in. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't care about family or doesn't care about those things, but, but it's when those things become an excuse to not be all in for Jesus, when we want to have the glory of following Jesus and, and make no mistake that 
for these people there was going to be some glory in following Jesus. There was miracles happening, there was thousands been fed, it, it was a spectacular idea to follow Jesus. Jesus is saying, you can't prioritise family over me and still be all in. You can't prioritise the burial of your father over me and still be all in. And so what is your excuse? What is my excuse for holding back? One of um, the people in my pastor's retreat group, we, we were talking, um, we met a few months ago and we were just talking about what was coming up and, and, and talking about some things and, and, and part of, partly sharing about my sense of being all in. And, um, and he said something, and I've, I've not quoted him exactly because he's not an author, um, so it's not in a book I can go back to, but he said something pretty much like this uh, in that conversation. He said, if there is anything else in your life that is more important, more valuable, more worthwhile than Jesus, tell me what that is and I'll stop what I'm doing and I will come and worship that thing. It sounds like an audacious statement, doesn't it? Part of you wants to go, how dare he say that we worship something other than Jesus? But how often do we find things that seem more important, that seem more valuable, that seem more worthwhile in that moment than Jesus. Because if there is something more valuable, more important, more worthwhile than Jesus, then we should worship that. If there is something more important and worthwhile and valuable than Jesus, we shouldn't be here this morning worshipping Jesus. If there's anything more worthy of worship than Jesus, we should go and worship that thing. And so why I like this quote is it touches on the heart strings of those reasons and those, those priority decisions we make. We might not bow down to these other things in our life. We might not worship them. We might not sing songs about them. But, but whenever we put something before Jesus and His values and priorities and, and His kingdom, we are worshipping that thing over and above Jesus. We're worshipping that thing even alongside Jesus. And so the history of Israel was that they were exiled from the promised land because they weren't faithful to their God. But the thing about Israel is at no point in the history do we rarely ever see the temple worship of Yahweh, their God, stopping. It wasn't like they stopped going to church and started worshipping at the Buddhist temple. They just had other priorities, other value systems. Some of those were pagan gods, yes, but, but they thought they were being faithful. But what they'd lost is this foundational statement from God. You'd have no other gods, no other priorities, no other values beside me. And so being all in means that all of me is in. That there is no other priority, there is no other purpose, there is no other value in my life except for Jesus and His kingdom. And yes, Jesus cares about your family. Yes, Jesus cares about you and, and there are other priorities and values that flow out from that, but they must flow out from Jesus, not become before Him or squeeze out the space for Him in your life. And so my challenge for myself and my challenge for you as we look towards 2019 is to make a fresh decision to be all in for Jesus and His kingdom. Or perhaps for some of us to, to make a decision for the first time to be all in for Jesus and His kingdom. As I was um, kind of thinking about um, this, this theme of all in during, at the start of the year and as I was looking through the year, I discovered this book from, from an author that I appreciate called Mark Batterson called All In and mistakenly until this week I thought this book was only published this year because um, I thought that's amazing God that, that you've led me to this thought of all in for the church and then one of my favourite authors publishes a book called All In in that same year. Um, turns out it was published in 2013, I think, um, but I only discovered it this year. 
Uh, and so as part of this challenge, that not that reading this book is going to be the thing that makes us all in, but, but what we've done is we want to make this book available to everybody. Um, so we've still got more copies on order, but um, we've got some here today. And so you can buy this book for, through the church. Uh, you get a special deal. It's $17 or $16.99 from Kurong. It's $15 from Yas Community Baptist Church via Kurong. Um, so you get a discount buying through us. Um, so they'll be available afterwards at the information desk. Uh, if you don't have the money today, that's okay. We'll track you down. But what I want to encourage you as you look to make this decision to be all in for Jesus and his kingdom in 2019 is to grab a copy of this book. Some of you will appreciate the writing style, some of you won't. It's filled with anecdotes and stories, but, but that's not the point. The point is just to take it as a, a challenge, as a devotion, as an inspiration to think about what does it look like for me to be all in? And so I encourage you to, to grab that afterwards. And so being all in means all of me is in. That's perhaps probably the most obvious part of it, but, but I want to suggest that being all in also means all of us in. All of us in. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 to 25, it says this, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Don't know who that might be, but some are in the habit of not meeting together. But encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. Earlier in the year at our um, annual uh, assembly, the Baptist Association, which was also a celebration of 250 years of the Baptist Association of New South Wales and ACT. Um, it's a mouthful, but we're so close to the ACT, we dare not leave that part of it off. But there was a, a, a former pastor of Guyamia Baptist Church there named Carl Fays, and he said in their church when he was the pastor of Guyamia Baptist, they used to do a survey just a kind of church health survey every year. And one of the questions on that was, how often do you think you attend church? And I, I forget the actual numbers, but he said about 80% of the church ticked that they come to church every Sunday. And he said that was either a lie or an aspirational tick. <laughs> because the only people that were at church every Sunday were those who were paid to be there. It has become the culture of the Western church to cast aside the priority of meeting together. We might think, well, I haven't stopped going to church, but, but now the norm of a regular church attender in Australia is one in three Sundays. That we have this sense of, well, I, I still go to church all the time, but... But for many people, what all the time looks like is one in three Sundays. We're, we're much better at mentally counting the times we're at church than the times we're not. And so the Scriptures remind us of this priority that, that we should not give up the habit of meeting together. That it should not become our habit to diminish that priority. That it's about spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. In fact, it's not about coming to consume some music and consume a message and consume some morning tea. It's about what you come to give, that it's about coming together. It's about all of us being in together. It's not about legalism, but it, it is about priorities. It's not about legalism, but it is about priorities. For the apostles of Jesus who were all martyred except for John because John managed to survive his execution but was exiled to the island of Patmos and thanks to that we have the book of Revelation. And so for the apostles who were all martyred or at least attempted martyred and for the thousands and thousands of martyrs who have followed them through history and for those who have lived persecuted for the name of Jesus, have been imprisoned for the name of Jesus and have been tortured for the name of Jesus and for those who are persecuted for being a part of the church today, the idea that a true follower of Jesus would have complete freedom to gather with the church and to worship God without hindrance and yet sometimes, occasionally, or perhaps even regularly, simply choose not to. 
or decide that something else was somehow more important would be an unfathomable thought. Being all in means being all in together, us, to prioritise being together as us above all else. As I said, it's not about legalism. It's not about, you know, I'm going to come and beat you with my Bible if you're not here on a Sunday or, or that if I give you a call because we missed you, it's because I'm checking up on you and you're failing as a Christian, it's because we care. But I feel like God's leading us this year coming to reprioritize the gathered worship of the church. To be all in together. I've told a story before uh, about how uh, in many uh, places in Australia the approach to try and uh, undercut the uh, motorcycle gang movement and the drug movement that goes with many motorcycle gangs is to not ban riding motorcycles, not ban... Well, selling drugs is already illegal and that doesn't work, but, but what they've thought is if we can just stop them gathering in larger numbers than two or three, then the whole thing will fall apart. Can I tell you that that is Satan's strategy for the church? That if he can stop us from gathering together, then it'll all fall apart. Now, we know that Jesus will build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There will always be a church. But God is calling us to reprioritize, not just for us, I believe, right across the Western church, to reprioritize simply gathering together in the name of Jesus. But it's not just about showing up and being here. It's about being the body, the church, the Apostle Paul describes as the body of Christ. He says, um, I've piece together just to make the point clear, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and, and, and uh, verse 27, uh, the Apostle Paul says to the church in Corinth, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. And just to make the point clear, verse 27 says, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And so Paul says to the church that you're a body, there's many different parts, there's many different gifts and abilities, there's many different uh, backgrounds and, and ideas that you all bring together, but you're a body, but you're not just anybody, you're the body of Christ. He goes on to say in verses 17 and 20 of 1 Corinthians 12, and I encourage you to read that whole passage, but for the sake of time, I've trimmed it this morning. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? <coughs> But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. If they, were all, if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there, is, there are many parts but one body. And so the Apostle Paul is saying the church is like a body that we need all the different bits and pieces to come together to make up the body. That every different function is essential. And he goes on to make that point even clearer in verses 21 to 22. He says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Maybe someone said to you once that the church doesn't need you. Or maybe you simply say that to yourself. I would want to say to you this morning that the Scripture says that you are indispensable to the church. No matter who you are here this morning, no matter what you feel your gifts and abilities and strengths are, or what you think your weaknesses and disabilities and whatever else is, I want to say to you that God's Word says that you are indispensable to the body of Christ. We cannot be without you. We desperately need every part of the body. Otherwise, it's, it's like forging ahead without the eyes. We're forging ahead blind and I, and I say to you, we will forge ahead. 
If the eyes don't show up as a church because we're passionate about Jesus, we will fall forge ahead, but we'll trip over a whole bunch of stuff along the way. We need the eyes. If the ears don't show up, it's like forging ahead without our sense of hearing. We will forge ahead, but, but we won't be able to hear. If other parts don't show up, we'll, we'll have to forge ahead limping or crawling along the ground. If the, the parts of the body that are called to be those parts and to serve in that way don't show up, then the body will be ma- lame and maimed. To be all in, it can't just be all of me in it has to be all of us in it can't just be the pastor it can't just be the faithful few it it needs to be all of us in together bringing our gifts our strengths our our opinions our thoughts our positions bringing what we bring into the church i don't know if you're an eye if you're a foot if you're an ear or a nose or a stomach i don't know what each of you are individually but i want to say that we need you We need you to prioritise gathering with the church, but we need you to prioritise bringing what you bring to the body. Otherwise, we'll be lame. And so in 2019, I want to challenge all of us as a church. I confess it is easier for me. I do get paid to be here. It's part of my job. But I want to... I want to challenge all of us as a church to be all of us in, to make Sunday gathering a foundational priority, not just for yourself, but for your family. Believe me, I do understand as a father of small children that sometimes it can be hard just getting here. I know that small children's not the only time in life that makes it hard, but that's just what I understand of life at the moment. I know there are other reasons that make it hard to get here and sometimes on that Sunday you might not feel like that particular day was worth it for you. But let me tell you, it was worth it for you to make it a priority, a foundational priority, not just for you but for the others. You don't know how just sitting beside somebody can encourage them and strengthen them and spur them on. So I want to challenge us for 2019 and you don't have to wait till 2019. There's still a few Sundays left this year to make Sunday gatherings a foundational priority. Let's be a church that isn't the norm of Western culture. Let's not accept that one in three is what Jesus had in mind for his church. Let's not be a church that I don't know what word to put in there, but but looks upon the suffering of the apostles and martyrs and the persecuted church and and simply says, I don't feel like it today. Let's be faithful to what they face by being faithful to the opportunity that we have to gather each week. Again, it's not about legalism, it's about a priority. But not just showing up, let's all of us be in and serve in a ministry or an outreach of the church. It's, it's not that there aren't avenues of, of ministry and mission that aren't connected to this, this church and there's so many amazing people in this church that do so many amazing things for God and by God and through God that aren't YCBC things. But, but I want to encourage everybody to, to serve in some way in a ministry or an outreach or, or some place on a roster or something in the life of our church. We're going to look at it more later but but you'll see in your Vision Sunday books that there is a slip in there that says, how will you serve in 2019? There's a bunch of options that you can tick and, 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 and do that. I do want to say that this is not an opt-out card. If you're already serving in a mission or a ministry or an outreach and you don't tick it on that box, we're not going to assume that you're not doing that anymore. You need to speak to that mission or ministry's leader. Okay, It's a relational thing. You can still feel free to tick what you're already doing just as a, yeah, I'm doing it. It's not that everybody has to do more or try harder and if you're already doing a hundred things, it's not that this morning I'm saying everyone needs to do one more thing. It actually helps you to fall in love with your church and church family if you just simply step in and serve. 
And so I want to encourage you to, to have a look at that and there'll be an opportunity to, to give that in with our vision offering that's coming later on or you might want to hold on to it for a bit longer and, and, um, and bring that back. And there might be something that, that God stirs on your heart that you really want to do but, but it's not on there, then, then you can by all means talk to me about that. And finally this morning I want to say that being all in means all of me is in, being all in means all of us is in but it also means holding nothing back. Holding nothing back. Being all in means holding nothing back and holding on to nothing but Jesus. If we read the scriptures, we we, we see Abraham who waited years and years and years for the promise of a son, Isaac. God's promise, God's blessing in his life and we see Abraham challenged by God to lay his son on the altar, to sacrifice not just what was precious to him, but, but God's entire plan for the salvation of humanity. That through Abraham's seed, salvation would come. God said, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. And we read later in Scripture in the New Testament, we're, we're told that Abraham reasoned that God would raise him from the dead. I think we normally reason, surely God wouldn't want us to give that up because He gave it to us. Our reasoning is on the stepping back instead of stepping forward side. We see the story, as I shared briefly last week, of a rich young ruler that comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And and they have a bit of a conversation, but then Jesus says, well, sell everything you have and come follow me. Another all or nothing invitation and we're told he went away sad. So the thing is that, that we all hold on to stuff. We all hold on to something. It, it's like we've all got this rope. And I don't know what's at the other end of your rope, but we all have this rope that we just don't want to let go of and we think that we can hold on to Jesus. But I want to tell you this morning that if your mission in life is to hold on to this, whatever is at the end of your rope, whatever that is, whether it's, you know other false gods, idols that you want to worship, whether it's money, whether it's possessions, whether it's even family uh, priorities that are pulling you away from Jesus. I hope your families pull you towards Jesus, but for some people that's not the case. Whatever is at the end of your rope this morning, I want to tell you, you can't hold on to it and be all in for Jesus. There are things that we're called to sacrifice on the altar of being all in for God that sometimes we can't imagine that God would want us to do that. But I want to tell you this morning that we can reason like Abraham that if God's calling to me to do this then there must be a way that God can be faithful to me through it. Abraham got it wrong. He he didn't receive from God the, the blessing of having his son raised from the dead. He didn't even have to get to that point that God provided a ram before him just as God's provided Jesus for us. But Abraham had to get to the point of letting go of the rope so that he could come fully to take hold of the cross with both hands, speaking anachronistically, obviously. And so this morning, I don't know what's at the end of your rope. I don't know what's outside that door holding you back. But I want to challenge us all this morning that being all in for Jesus as individuals and as a church means letting go and clinging to nothing but the cross of Jesus Christ, nothing but what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. This morning I want to encourage you to hold nothing back and hold on to nothing that holds you back. I'm just going to get Carl to come and the rest of the worship team can come up later. Um, This morning I I, want to leave you with a sense of imagining and and the reason Carl's going to come is we're just going to spend a few minutes, Carl's going to play to give us some musical background and what I want you to imagine is what would your life, what would our church, what would our town look like if we simply chose to be all in? 
all of me in, all of us in, holding nothing back. This quote that I've put on the screen is a, is a quote that I don't know who said it. Uh, apparently it was an English preacher about a hundred years ago. But I do know who heard it. Um, you can read about it in this book available for $15 all in. It was a man named D.L. Moody, a great revivalist, a man whose passion for Jesus and for revival in the name of Jesus was set alight by this quote on the screen. Who led many people to Jesus, one of the great awakenings is the word they use in America that that turned the hearts of Americans back to Jesus and spilled, overflowed out of America and around the globe and many uh, people were led to Jesus and many people who led many to Jesus were led to Jesus by one man imagining what God could do. This preacher said, the world has yet to see what God will do with and for and through and in and by a person who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. In other words, the world is yet to see what God will do if someone was simply all in for him. I want to say to this this morning that our, our town is yet to see because we're all on a journey. I'm not criticising past churches or other churches. I'm not criticising you or, 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 or me. Well, I'm including myself in it. But We're yet to see if we simply let go of the rope and cling to nothing but the cross. We're yet to see what God could do with us and for us and through us and in us and by us in our town, across our country, and even, I believe, as was true in the life of D.L. Meadey, across this entire planet. And so Carl's going to play for us this morning for, for a few minutes, and, and what I want you to do is, don't worry about who's around you, don't worry about who's watching you, but is to simply take a moment of bowing your head and imagine... Take a moment of bowing your head and and led by the Holy Spirit to dream about what He might lead you in in 2019. About you know what words and phrases, as we've talked about this morning, all in what what words and phrases is God putting on your own heart uniquely for you about that? To imagine and to dream, what could take place? So we're going to do that for five minutes or so, maybe a bit less than that. And then we're going to sing a final song. And, and during that final song, it's going to be the opportunity to worship, to, to state in song that we're all in, but, but also that's going to be our opportunity for our vision offering. And I'll give a bit more detail about that in a moment. But let me pray as we just take this moment to reflect. Mm, Father, I pray that now your Holy Spirit would come upon each of us, that you would give us dreams and visions, that you would put words upon each of our hearts to give us vision and direction for 2019. In Jesus' name, thank you. Amen. So just take this time, just you and Jesus, just the Holy Spirit speaking to you.
Father, I pray that we would be given the wisdom of Paul, that we too would say, not yet have I attained all this, but I press on. That we be given the wisdom and determination to realize we've not yet lived up to your call to be all in, but give us the determination to press on. And Father, this morning I'm mindful of the words that Jesus said of his, his uh, first followers as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so, Father, we declare this morning our spirit is willing. We come before you a, a people whose heart's desire is to be all in for you, holding nothing back. But we come before you a people whose flesh is weak. And so we pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would give us the capacity, the power, the wisdom, the determination, the direction, everything we need, everything we need to be all in. All of me in, all of us in, holding nothing back. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've been blessed and encouraged by this message, we'd love for you to become a part of the Ask Baptist family. Log on to ycbc.church to find out more.